You ready to get started today? All right, if you grab your Bibles or your tablets or whatever you use to find the Word of God uh, here. We're starting a series uh, last week on love. And so we're uh, continuing that series. We're really focused on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call that the love chapter because um, the Holy Spirit just worked through the Apostle Paul to talk about love and its specifics, what it is, what it isn't, how it works, and all of those things. And so we're focused on love for the next several weeks. Um, we're right in the middle of the Olympics, though, right? How many of you enjoying watching the Olympics? Okay, we'll pray for the rest of you because... <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with y'all. Now, the Olympics are just tremendous. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Um, but I would think that the, there's a couple of attributes that these top athletes have. One is just a love for whatever they're doing, uh, tenacity, resilience. But I'd also think that it has to do with patience. You know, patience is that thing that every athlete has to have because you just have to keep working at it and keep going for it. And when the setbacks or maybe a, an injury happens, you've got to press through. Um, you know, I love my favorite sport of all is in the Winter Olympics curling. I just love. It. No, I don't. I don't. I don't love it. I'm from Florida. Curling. What is that? You know, it's what women do their hair. But I don't know. It's. But patience is so vitally important. Some of you, uh, probably all of you, have seen that video of the the marshmallow video. Remember, they take a little kid, four or five years old, six years old, and they put him in a room and they put a little table. And they put a marshmallow on a plate. And the, the adult says to the child, okay, listen, here's the rules. Here's your marshmallow. That's your marshmallow. You can eat the marshmallow. But I'm going to go out of the room for 15 minutes. And when I come back, if you've eaten the marshmallow, you ate the marshmallow. But if you didn't eat the marshmallow, I'm going to give you another one and you'll have two. Have you seen that video, right? It's all about patience. And of course, the cameras are rolling on these child as they literally just go through torture. I mean, it's cruel. And I, I don't know why somebody's not arrested for cruelty to children on that, right? Because it just seems like that's what it is. But it's all about patience. Are we willing to uh, have delayed gratification? Are we willing to wait? Don't indulge right now. It'll be better later. We'll have more later. It's all about patience. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you don't need to turn there because we've just got the verse up here right now. But Paul begins this analysis, if you will, of love. And he begins to say all of the attributes of love. Love is and love is and love is. And the first word that the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to use is the word patience. Love is patient. Now, we like this translation better than the King James Version. How many of you know what the King James Version says? Love suffers a long time. We're like, it is the truth. And that's really what patience is, because if everything's going fine and great and wonderful, then where's patience? You don't really even need it, right? But when things aren't going well and there is difficulty and tension and strife, there's just stuff going on and you're having to wait, that's when patience is so vitally important. So love is patience. Patience is a virtue that we hear a lot of negative things about. Oh, don't pray for patience. You'll start having trouble. I got news for you. You're going to have trouble anyway. You're a person. You live in a world that's fallen. We have problems. And so we're going to face problems anyway. But God is working patience inside of all of our lives. St. Augustine said patience is the companion of wisdom. 
Martin Luther said, I know not the way he leads me, but well do I know my guide. What have I to fear? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said, May we sit at the foot of the cross and there learn what sin had done, what justice has done, and what love has done. Patience is when we're able to clear out the noise, clear out all the clutter, and just allow God to do what he's trying to do. Not only in us, through us, but also in other people and through other people. You have your Bibles, please turn to the Galatians. The book of Galatians is in the New Testament. And I want to read a verse that, in my opinion, is maybe an epitome of a teaching on patience. And that's where we're going to focus on today. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Here we see the epitome of God's patience. He says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son for the redemption of mankind. God sent his son that not only could you and I have eternal life through his forgiveness and his salvation, but that also that we could have freedom while we live here on this earth, that he would destroy and break the bondage that holds us back. He would take those of us who have short fuses, quick tempers, and he said, wait a minute, I'm going to work some patience in you. I'm going to break that chain that you're bound to, that you think that, that, you, that that's just the way I am. I just have a quick temper, and that's just the way I am. But God is doing a work in your life. And he's wanting to work patience because God is love and love is patient. And so he says, I want to break that quick temper. I want to, I want to break that anger that just erupts. And everyone around you is kind of like, whoa, don't make him mad because we see what happens. God says, I want to break that off of you. I don't want you bound with that anymore. And I'm going to do it by filling you with love. And love is patience. Let's look at this verse uh, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. First off, we see that patience has a past. You have a past, and I have a past, but patience has a past. In other words, he says, but when the set time had fully come. There are things that God does that we're not ready for, and he only gives it to us when the time is right. There are things that God is going to do in your life this year that you weren't ready for last year or certainly not the year before, or the decade before. There's a timing to everything, and patience has a past. And we, we always think, well, you know, why, why don't I already have this? Why, why haven't I already achieved this? And God is saying, in my perfect timing. I'm still working in you and through you, and I'm working all around you. Patience has a past. And here we see in the fullness of time, God says timing is vitally, vitally important. It is not by accident that we meet the people we meet when we meet them. This is what we call divine appointments. I love these divine appointments. And see, we become impatient when we think we, we should already have and we should already know and we should already be somewhere. God says, hold on, I've got some divine appointments for you. There are people that you will meet next year that you're not ready to meet this year because the divine moment has not yet come. 
I love the story of Abraham. And of course, uh, he and, uh, and, and Sarah have Isaac, the son of promise. And now Isaac's, you know, he's getting older. And, and they're like, oh, we need to find him a, a, a wife. I don't know why arranged marriages went out of style. I'm up for it. I wasn't up for it 37 years ago, but I'm up for it now. And so what do they do? He, he's, Abraham sends his servant on a journey. He goes, go find her, go find our son a wife. And what happens? There's this divine appointment by a well, and the rest of the story is done. This divine appointment of David, King David meeting Jonathan, Saul's son, that's a divine appointment because it saved a nation. We look at Ezekiel, we look at the prophets, we look at Elijah and Elisha, that divine appointment, that passing of the mantle. We look at Jesus and Simeon. Jesus is eight years old. He's being brought to the temple for naming, and if you'd call it dedication, and there's Simeon, an old man who's well advanced in years, but God had given him a promise, you will not die before your eyes see the Messiah. And it's that divine appointment. There are people that you have met because it was the right timing. There are people that you're going to meet because it will be the right timing then. And if we would begin to look at our encounters with people as God ordained, as divine appointments, we'll begin to change our attitude and we're tempted right now to say, yeah, I love all those nice people I meet. It's those mean ones. Those are the ones the devil sent me. I might differ with that. I don't know. I think every appointment is divine because God's trying to work patience in us. He doesn't promise us that everything's going to be just fine and wonderful. Life's going to be easy. All you got to do is pray a prayer, accept me, get dunked in water, and then your life's going to be great. He never promised that. And so God sends us divine appointments, even some of those people with some rough edges, right? But how would our life be different if we begin to view all of the encounters that we have as divine appointments? You see, the people that we meet that aren't Christians, that, that aren't serving Christ, they are in the world, of the world, they're totally engrossed in the world, those appointments are also divine because we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. You see, the people that we meet are not going to be impressed with how confident we are of who the author of the first five books of the Bible is, or the book of Hebrews, or what we think is going to happen in the book of Revelation. They're not impressed by that. They really don't care. But you know what they do care about? Are you exhibiting the nature of Christ? Can they see God in your actions? Or do the Christians around them just act like everybody else? They get hot-tempered, and they flare off, and they do. But are we different? And they're not going to be impressed with a lot of things, but they are going to be impressed when they see the nature of Christ in us. What would, what would your relationships be like if you treated everyone, including yourself, as a person in process rather than a machine that performs? What would your relationships be like if you... Show in your words and actions that you value relationships more than things. How would your life be different if you listened long enough to understand what another person thinks and feels? Doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but at least you'll understand them. How would your life be different if you gave up harsh and condemning words and learned to speak softly and kindly? The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath.
How would your life be different if you were focused on finding solutions to problems rather than finding someone to blame? You see, the impatient person wants to find somebody to blame right now, but the patient person says, let's find a solution to this. Let's figure out how we can get over this hurdle. That's the patient person. You see, today, you are ready for today's divine appointments. You weren't ready yesterday. Or maybe that person wasn't ready yesterday. But today, you're ready. Don't try to make tomorrow's miracle happen today. Have patience. When we try and speed God up and we try and go, God, I, I, I need this to happen right now. Come on, God, where are you? Let's go. And we try to make something happen Instead of waiting on God, what we end up doing is producing an Ishmael. You remember Ishmael? Abraham had Isaac, but he also had Ishmael. Ishmael was the impatient, or the child of impatience. And we have a problem when we produce something, and God says, wait, wait a minute, that wasn't my timing, that was your timing. Sometimes we try and force ministry and we try and force this and we try and go and we try and make it happen. And God's saying, whoa, patience, hold on. In my perfect timing, in my perfect timing. I remember when uh, uh, Amanda, our daughter, was uh, getting ready to get married and we knew it was coming up. These, these two were falling in love. It was obvious. And I was like, God, it's right. Those, all those men that warned me about having daughters and expensive weddings, they're They're right. I didn't believe them, but they're right. All of them are right. I was like, God, I don't know. But I just had a confidence and a faith God's going to provide, and he did. It was so beautiful and wonderful. One of the ways that God helped us during that time was we had some classes on Wednesday night at that time, and we did the class and everything, and then afterwards I went into my office, and on my desk was an envelope. And it said, Pastor Chris and Lisa. Okay, and I picked the envelope up, and I said, that's kind of thick. And I opened it up, and I looked inside, and I went, whoa, Jesus. It was $2,000 in cash just sitting on my desk. It's never happened again, so don't go in there and looking for stuff. Okay. <laughs> Now, anybody that's on a wedding for their daughter knows it takes more than 2000 but I was so thankful that God just said, hey, see, I've got this. I got this. It's going to be fine. You just got to wait on God and say, God, okay. Thank you. You know what you're doing. Divine appointments and divine timing. Let's not push ahead and produce something that isn't from God. God's given you dreams and visions and desires. Be patient and yet pursue and that's the second part, and that is that patience has action. Sometimes we think of patience as what? Laziness. Just sit back and just don't do anything and just let God do it. That's not patience. That's called being lazy. Patience is when we wait, but we wait actively. There is a moment in time when patience has that action, even though we're being patient. In the fullness of time, when everything lined up just right, God sent his son. There was that time when God said, yes, here's the divine appointment, here's the time, here we go, and he sent his son. Many believe that just patience, just sitting, doing nothing, not at all. The book of James tells us to, he said, I want you to be patient and wait just like the farmer waits for the harvest. The farmer plows, the farmer plants, the farmer fertilizes, the farmer weeds, but he also has to wait. 
He doesn't just plant it and then come back two months later and get a harvest. There's activity while he waits. And James says, I want you to do that. Wait on the coming of the Lord. He's going to come. It's going to happen. I want you to wait patiently. God's going to do it. Love is always active and patience always has activity. Patience is filled with prayer and fasting and faith and obedience and submission and praise, generosity, forgiveness. It's filled with second mile trips and presenting the other cheek. 2 Timothy 2.15, I think, is a, a verse that, that I just really kind of threw in here this morning. And that is, the word says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. Be diligent. What's that word diligent mean? It says, man, be active. Go for it, but wait. Go for it and be patient. Go for it and let God's timing work positively. It's that balancing act between I'm going to be so energetic and I'm going to be so patient all at the same time. You got to have both sides of your brain working, right? You left-handed people, I love you. You're the only ones in your right mind, right? <laughs> got to have the balance going on. So we're active while we wait. He said, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, not a lazy person, but a worker, somebody who's involved, who does not need to be ashamed, who is not ashamed, that we, while we wait, are actively watching out for our mental health and our social health and our soul health. Everything about us, we're paying attention to it. We're being diligent to present ourselves to God as one approved, not lazy, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed who doesn't walk around going, oh, I'm not worthy of anything. That's why, that's why I'm having to wait, because I'm not worthy. No, you're worthy because Christ made you worthy. He thinks the world of you. He thinks you're awesome and amazing. That's why Christ died on the cross for you. And so God is saying, yes, this is what I want. Be diligent, be a worker, don't be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Well, the only way you can correctly handle the word of truth is to understand the word of truth. That means the Bible, understand the word of truth. And how can you understand the word of truth? You got to read it. Hello? You got to read it. Now, Sunday mornings, great. Life groups are wonderful, but that's not enough. You got to get into God's word and say, man, what does it say? Man, what, what is, what, how do I get in? What? I got to learn. I've got to grow. I've got to get this word into my life. Say, oh, Pastor Chris, that's a big book. Well, start somewhere, right? Read a page, and then make it two pages. Read, it, read one section, read one book, one epistle, one gospel, and just dive into it and allow God to speak to you. Once you start getting those rhema words where that, it just seems like that, that verse just jumps off of the page and grabs you, you'll be, you'll be hooked. You'll be like, I, I got to have more of that because that speaks to what I'm dealing with right now. How many times has God done that in our lives? Well, we're just going through something, but we're getting to his word. And man, just that verse just jumps out and goes, that's what I need. Wow. So we're patient, but patience has an action. But thirdly and lastly, patience has a future. And the last part of that, Galatians chapter 4 says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's the whole plan. In the fullness of time, God waited, 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 patience, patience, patience. And then in that divine moment, he sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, 
for the purpose of redeeming those who were under the law, that we each might receive adoption to sonship. That adoption to sonship was an absolute legal term. It says, you have been adopted legally. You are now the child of. That's the kind of relationship that we have with God. No one is born a Christian. You might be born into a Christian family, but no one is born a Christian. you got to be born again. And that's when we receive that adoption to sonship. God demonstrates his love and his patience while we're still trying to figure it out. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us with the hope that we would receive that adoption to sonship. That is the purpose of it. But God does not reach down and just grab us and say, against your will, you'll be my child. He never does that. He woos us and he talks to us and he pulls us and he keeps, he keeps after us until we go, oh God, how can I any longer resist this love that you have for me? How can I resist this love? How can I resist how, how intricate you are in my life? How can I resist this? And we go, yes, I surrender to your love. Yes, I surrender. And we're born again. We got his patient in that process. While we're out running around before Christ, before we know Christ, and we're running around doing other stuff, and, and God is saying, I, I'm, I'm pulling you. Come on, come on. I've got a better plan for you. You're sowing some wild oats that are gonna, they're going to harvest one day. You're not going to like it. I'm trying to save you from that. I think the greatest testimony in all the world is, is when somebody says, you know what, I'm 80 years old, I'm 90 years old, and I received Christ when I was eight, and I've lived for him my whole life. That, to me, is the greatest testimony in all the world. Absolute greatest testimony. Because that person got it early and lived their life for Christ. But for those of us who did not have exactly have that example, that, that story, God says, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling with you. Come on. I'm being patient, but I'm pulling. Come on, let's go. I've got a better plan for you. And sometimes some people teach and even think that God's patience has no end. It's just he just is going to be patient forever. In fact, they believe that, you know, we, there's really no hell. I mean, there's, there's really no separation from God because God is so patient and so loving that we all just go to heaven. It's like we're dogs and we all just go to heaven. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the picture that, that the Bible paints. And God says, I'm, I'm going to be patient with you, and my patience is long, and my patience lasts a long time. But if we read in God's word, we see consistently there are times with the nation of Israel. He says, boys, I'm drawing a line. I've been patient with you. I've been patient with you, but I'm drawing a line. We see that repeatedly in the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament. One of the places in Numbers chapter 21, you can read this later, but in Numbers 21, we, we find that Israel is, is just escaping, of course, out of uh, bondage, and out of, they're in the wilderness. And so they are um, being led through the wilderness, and they're having a really tough time because they don't have any fruit, they don't have any vegetables, and there's no uh, wheat, so they can't make bread. But God provides manna. It comes down six days a week. And God provides manna. And at times they were in a place where there was no water. And God spoke to Moses. And uh, he spoke to a rock. He struck a rock. Water comes out, gushing out, and provides for them. But as they're traveling along the way, they become impatient. The Bible says that. He says they became impatient and they began to 
speak against God and against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out in the wilderness to kill us? So there's no bread, water scarce, and they just begin to complain and gripe. What were they doing? They were being impatient. And what happens next is, is so unique because the Bible says that, that well, God heard them. And, and God sent these snakes to bite them. And many of them died. And we were like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not, that's not what I learned in Sunday school. I learned about the soft and fluffy Jesus that loves little lambs. You know, I, I, I look at that and I said, well, they were being impatient. They were complaining against God, against Moses. They were complaining about everything. They wasn't good enough that they were slaves. Now they're not slaves. No, that wasn't good enough. And so God releases these snakes. And, I, and, I, and as I see that, I, there's two ways of looking at it. You can one say God rounded up the snakes and threw them in the batch. You know, I, I don't see that. I don't, I don't believe that. I think what God did is what the same thing that God does with us. There, we live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world filled with problems, but when we serve the Lord, when we're following him and obedient to him, you know what God does? I think he just pushes out his arms. He says, hey, snakes, you stay back. Those are my people. You stay back. Nope, 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 stay back. Nope, nope, can't do it. That refrigerator, it's going to last longer than it used to. That automobile... Nope, it's not going to break down. Lisa and I had a Buick one time. Love Buicks. So don't, this is not a bad story about Buicks. We had a Buick one time, and it had, a, it had, as it was, it had like a squeak. I can't stand squeaks, bat, rattles, and buzzes. Can't handle them. So it had a squeak. I checked the brakes. I was like, I don't know what to do. So I, I put the jack under it, jacked it up in the garage, and jacked it up. And so I... You know, I, I know to be careful, but I kind of slipped in on the driver's seat and I pushed the brake kind of easily just to find out, you know, if it's the brakes or what. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not a carpenter or a mechanic. And so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And you know what? I don't know what I did, but all of a sudden that jack just went, boom, and the cold car went down. And now my, well, whatever was hitting the cement is now in the garage, on the garage floor. Right. I mean, now the car is this far off the, you know, how do you get a jack under that? You know, so I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now? I even forget how I figured out how to get it up, but somehow God gave me help to get it up. And I'm like, well, now I know what's going to happen. Now I had a car that worked but had a squeak. Now I have a car that's still going to have a squeak and it's not going to work. <laughs> Great. But you know what? I jacked that thing up. I put the tire back on. I put the jack back down and I took it for a drive. That crazy car never had a squeak again. That's the truth. Everything I just said is truthful. I'm, I'm, that's no exaggeration at all. It never had a squeak again. I was like, God is just going like, nope, stay back. Stay back. You ever see the motocross races that do in the Olympics now? They, do, they, they pedal now. They don't. But you ever seen on the starting line, they have a starting gate? And they put that, that gate up, that piece of wood. And all the tires are just lined up one after another. And those guys are just going... They're just ready to pull that accelerator and pop that clutch and off to the race. It's like rabid dogs, just like, look, let's go. But the gate is holding them back. I think that's what God does with us. He said, nope, nope, no, 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 you're not getting to them. They're my people. They're my people. 
But let's face it. If we reject God and we think we can do it our own way and in our own timing, if we reject God. God is holding back. God's pushing back. He's saying, no, I'm, I'm protecting you. But will you come to me? Will you lean on me? Will you depend on me? I'm holding, I'm holding all this back. And when we become impatient, when we become self-willed, and our anger gets the best of us, and our temper gets the best of us, I'm not saying God just kind of hurls a problem at us. I think, I think he just kind of relaxes and says, okay, if you want to live without me, I'll show you what that's like. And that's when his patience begins to kind of pull back. He said, I'm patient with you, but you want to find out what it's like to live without me? This is what it's like. But you know what happens in this story? These snakes are biting Israel and some people are dying, but the people repented of their sin. They said, oh God, we're so sorry. They went to Moses and said, Moses, we're sorry. We shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have spoken against God. We shouldn't have spoken against you. Pray to the Lord. And Moses prayed. You know what God did? He said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make, make a snake and I want you to put it on a pole. So Moses makes a bronze snake. And he attaches it to a pole. God said, I want you to lift up that snake in the middle of the nation. And anyone who looks at that snake will not die of a snake bite. See, even in our sin, God is still providing a remedy. He still says, I'm watching out for you. I love you and I care for you. I have a plan for your life. Don't reject me. This is the same thing that Jesus referenced in John chapter number three. He said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Which is right before John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. While we were in sin, Christ provided for us. While Israel was in sin, Moses provided. God told him what to do. Jesus is the same way. He was lifted up on a pole on a cross and paid the price for all of our sin. That's the love of God. He says, I am patient. I'm for you. Life without me is going to hurt bad. Life with me, you're going to find protection. There are some people who would say, well, they'd ask this question that they think is the epitome of all questions. How can a God of love send anyone to hell? How can a God of love send anyone to hell? May I ask a more important question that needs to be answered first? How can anyone who has rejected God their entire life complain that God has placed them exactly where they want to be, separated from him? There are people who want to reject God, no God, no, 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 and then complain when they are where God, where they want to be, separated from God. See, God is patient. He keeps pulling us. But there is a deadline. There, there's a timeline in which he says, my patience has expired. And for every person on the planet who has rejected Christ and has not received Christ, that ultimate deadline is their death when they live no more in this body. God doesn't want anyone to die without him. It is God's will that all come to repentance and that none perish. In Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus stood up in Jerusalem and he cries out with a loud voice and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who have killed the prophets and 
those who were sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. God is so patient and kind and loving and compassionate, and yet if you continue to reject him and continue to reject him, there comes that point in time when it's too late. God never changes. He still remains patient. He allows difficulties in our lives to get our attention. I'm asking you today this question. Sir, ma'am, however old you are, makes no difference. Do you think you can live without him? Do you think that he is just going to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait? Oh, he will wait. But I am not in charge of God's timetable. There'll come a day if you continue to reject him that he'll say, okay, you want to be separated from me? Don't get to that day. Don't get to that moment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when we can call on the name of the Lord and we will receive salvation. And I'm speaking to every person here today that has not done that. You've not accepted Christ as your Savior. And I've put him off. I, one day I will. One day I will. One day I will. I'm going to end with this story. It's a true story. Lisa and I have been married about a year or two. And we were going to visit a, a family that had visited the church. They, well, we were in our 20s, so they were really old, probably in their 50s. And the wife was a Christian and the husband was not. And we went there and pleaded with him. We literally pleaded with him. We tried to convince him. We tried to tell him everything we possibly could in our young minds and trying to help someone accept Christ. And he said, you know what? I get it. I see it. He said, I'm just not ready. I think one day, but I'm just not ready. 36 hours later, he was dead. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, and I don't know how much longer you're going to live, but I know this, that Jesus' patience has been waiting on you because he loves you. He loves you. And it's not his will that you perish. It's not his will. It is will that you come to repentance and receive Christ. And that is the best life you'll ever live. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. The Bible described it as being born again. That's his desire for your life right now. Would you receive Christ today as your Savior? I'm speaking to those people here today that do not know Christ. You've heard about him. You've even rejected him. God's not mad at you for rejecting him. He's patient and loving and kind. Will you accept him today? He's still right now trying to woo you, trying to pull you in. And the proof of that is that you're here right now and you've heard this message. He's still after you. He's still after you because he still loves you. Let's pray together, okay?